Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 387 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not only ask you to agree with me, I'm asking you to hear me out. The thing that I love about football so much is storylines are created after almost every game. Every game you get a discord on why did this team win? Why did this team lose? What does this mean for their playoff run? What does this mean for their future? There's always storylines that come after games. And more than basketball, because basketball you have 82 games. You have a game today, a game tomorrow, maybe a game the next day. Football, you have to sit with that for a couple days. You have to sit with that for at most a week. And the big game, or... The game that produced the most storylines this week was the Buffalo Bills beating the Dallas Cowboys 31 to 10. Now, you have to understand, before we go on, this is the Dallas Cowboys. And the Dallas Cowboys, quote unquote, America's team is the most popular team in the United States, is the most popular team in North American sports, pretty much. So you're going to get... A litany of, whether warranted or unwarranted, storylines coming out of this game about the Dallas Cowboys. And when you ask me, I think that this game, the outcome of this game, how the game went, I think it's more of a story for the Buffalo Bills than it is the Dallas Cowboys. Now, let me explain. The stigma around the Cowboys this year has been they do not produce against good teams. When a good team is, when they're playing a good team, they don't win. The only good team they really beat, or the only team above 500, the two teams, I'm sorry, above 500 they beat was the Seahawks and the Eagles. And us as football fans, Cowboys fans, people in general, were skeptical of kind of the same storyline that we hear hear this year about the Dolphins. We didn't know, are they kind of handling business against the smaller teams, or are they as good as they're projecting to be? And... Because the top of both conferences are so tight, whether we're talking about the AFC and we have the Ravens, the Dolphins, the the Chiefs, the Jaguars, or we have the NFC with the Cowboys and the Eagles and the 49ers. These games are uber important because your room for error, especially trying to get that most coveted number one seed in the conference, the margin for error is much lower. And while, yes, you can say the Dallas Cowboys were only beating teams that are below 500 or teams that they should easily beat and having a tough time against the teams that are above 500, you can also say that they were handling business. You know, they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were beating who was in front of them. 
outside of a few games. And this was a very important game because you have two teams with two very different out or very different outlooks of this game going in. You had the Dallas Cowboys who they want to solidify themselves. Everyone again, everyone is fighting for the number one seed in the conference, but the Dallas Cowboys, they understand how good they can be in Jerry's world and how good they've been this year at home. And when you see a team like the Eagles, which we'll talk about in a second, when you see like the, the team like the Eagles kind of struggling and sputtering right now, and then you see the 49ers that are just a juggernaut, it's like you don't want to lose traction. So you want to go into this game against the Bills and solidify yourself as, okay, we are the top team, not just in the NFC East, but in the NFC. Now, no, if they would have won this game, they would not have – of course, overtaken the 49ers, but they would have been in that conversation. And for the Bills, the Bills are fighting for their playoff lives. After this win, they're eight and six. They're still in the hunt. They're not even in the wild card. And we know how dangerous this Bills team can be if they get a shot and if they're playing to the best of their ability. I think that has been the thing that's lost when people hear me critique the Bills and people say that or people hear me say that they're not a Super Bowl caliber team or their Super Bowl windows closed or something. I'm not saying that because of the talent level that they have. I'm not saying that because of I don't think they're a good team. I'm saying that because they are a good team. They do have a great quarterback in Josh Allen. They do have really good pieces. They just don't put it together. They haven't put it together. And there's only so many times you're going to get an opportunity to put it together. But the Bills are one of those teams where if they put it together. Now, we have not seen that yet. Let me reiterate. But if they put it together, they can beat anybody as we saw on Sunday. And this is another thing that I kind of, I think it's funny. Let me say that. I think it's funny, and it is a a major hindrance for teams. Actually, I don't know how to tee this up, so I'm just going to say it. I judge teams more on those games where it's quote-unquote tailor-made for them to win. A couple years ago, the Green Bay Packers, all you heard them say was, we want a playoff game. We want the playoffs to go through Lambeau. We want the playoffs to go through Lambeau. We feel if the playoffs go through Lambeau, we have a good shot to make it to the Super Bowl. This was, I believe, the year that Aaron Rodgers won the MVP. They got the number one seed, and they got the the bye week the first week. And the next week, they played the 49ers. And what do you know? It was in Lambeau. Aaron Rodgers was the MVP, and they lost. And those are the games that are tailor-made for them to win. It was cold. It was snowing. It was below freezing. You're at home. You're used to this element. You're used to this. And you have a West Coast team in the 49ers coming. This this game should be – and you have the MVP. 
This game should be tailor-made for you to win. And what do you know? They lost. Same thing happened, what, two years ago with the Bills. It's snow, or maybe even last year. It's snowing. You're at home. You're playing against the Cincinnati Bengals. Why, yes, the Bengals are used to snow. They're in Ohio. But you're at home, so you don't have to go anywhere. They have to travel in the snow. They have to deal with the elements that they're not used to dealing with as far as they're not used to the Buffalo cold. That is tailor-made for you to win, and you lose. So I always think it's it, – it, it, I, I kind of judge those games a little more harshly for the losers, especially if the losers are the – is the team that the elements are made for. Well, on Sunday, this game was tailor-made for the Bills to win. It's cold, it's raining, you're at home, you're playing against a team that usually plays in a dome, so they're not really comfortable with the elements. You're playing a team that hasn't done well against teams that are above 500 outside of, again, two teams this year. It was tailor-made for them to win. Now, again, you still play the games, and things obviously can happen. Again, we just talked about the 49ers and the, and the Green Bay Packers. But my original statement was this game told me more about the, the Bills than it did the, the Green Bay – I mean, than it did the Cowboys. I'm not going to write off the Cowboys – I'm not I know that people are killing the Cowboys. People are saying, "Oh, this was their shot. This proves that the Cowboys are just frauds." I'm not going to say that. I don't believe the Cowboys are frauds. I think the this is probably one of the best Cowboys teams we've seen in years. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if this Cowboys team finds themselves in the NFC Championship. I wouldn't be surprised if this Cowboys team found themselves in the Super Bowl. That's how good they can be, and that's how good they've shown themselves to be this year. So I'm not going to take – I'm not going to make grandioso uh, proclamations about this Cowboys team after this game. What I will say is with – Football in every game, you have to understand the level of physicality that you're going to deal with. And I, and I don't mean that because obviously football is a physical sport, but when you're playing a team like the Ravens or the 49ers, you know that those, that those teams are going to bring a different level of physicality than, let's say, the Kansas City Chiefs or the at least this year, the Green Bay Packers. While styles are different, the level of physicality, the way that they approach the game is different for complete. Here you go. The level of physicality that the 49ers bring is not the level of physicality that the Dolphins bring. Now, the Dolphins are still good, but when we talk about physicality, when we talk about aggression, when we talk about defensive holds, the 49ers are more physical than the, the the Dolphins. Well, going into this game, I didn't expect the Bills' defense to be as physical as it was, and I don't think the Cowboys thought that way either. 
and also I understand when you're going into the going to play the Bills when you're the game plan is usually yo Josh Allen is going to try to do everything and they're going to try to make Josh Allen do everything so take away Stephon Diggs take away the the passing game and we won and you can see early on that that's what the Cowboys tried to do but it goes back to while I think that this I'm looking at this win for the Cowboys. I mean for the Bills. I'm looking at it more of a I learned more about the Bills than I did the Cowboys. Again, I'm not going to I'm not going to kill the Cowboys. I think it's it, it was one game and I don't think that their their train is derailed or anything. I do think that you have to the Cowboys have to find their physical identity. You have Michael Parsons, you have Dexter Lawrence or you have uh, Demarcus Lawrence, which are cool, but you can't get out physical, especially against a team that you did not expect to be out physical. You know, <laughs> so yeah, man. But for the Bills, let me talk about the Bills for a second. Um, the Bills are fighting for their playoff lives. That's obvious. And when you're fighting for your playoff lives, you're going to play harder usually than a team that isn't playing for their playoff lives. A team that isn't trying to get into the playoffs. And it's not the fact that we've seen the best version of the Bills, which I feel like that was probably one of the best wins the Bills have had this season. Yes, I understand they beat the uh, Dolphins, but the way that they beat the Dolphins compared to the way that they beat the Cowboys, I feel like this one was more important because the Bills haven't really had a complete game up until Sunday. When I What I mean by that is everyone's come to play. When they beat the Dolphins, their run game wasn't wasn't as spectacular as it was on Sunday. I mean, this was obviously the coming out game for James Cook. 25 carries, 179 yards, one touchdown, uh, running and a touchdown passing or receiving. This team, this Bills team, is good enough to win a Super Bowl. Now, let's not get that confused. A team can be good enough to do something, but continuously fall under expectation. I'm saying that this Bills team is good enough to win a Super Bowl, but I don't think the Super Bowl window is open. Because one, they're not even in the playoffs right now, and two, they have not shown me. They've shown me the ability to be good. They have not shown me the consistency to be good. Again, there should be no reason why this Bills team is fighting for the play for their playoff lives. There has, I mean, their major injuries were on the defensive side of the ball, of course, but with Milano and Jadavius White. But this team can make a lot of noise and. 
And the, the, the way that the Bills played on Sunday is the way that we saw them coming into the season. They can beat anybody. And they can beat anybody a myriad of ways. And one thing that I, I did, I was shocked about. And you've kind of seen this a little bit this season, but the Bills are trying to make a concerted effort to take some of the pressure off of Josh Allen, which they should have been doing for years now in using the run game. Now, I don't know if it's because they didn't trust their running back. I don't know if they just didn't. When you see someone as talented as Josh Allen, it's like, yo, we need to use him in all of his glory. But Josh Allen, Josh Allen, the person that pretty much averages 40 to 45 throws a game, only threw the ball 15 times. And they won 31 to 10. That shows me that this Bills team can beat you in a myriad of ways. It's just, can they be consistent? First of all, will they make the playoffs? Which I think they might because they just have to win out, honestly. And if they win out and the Dolphins, I think they have to play the Dolphins again. So if they win out, that they'll win their division and they'll be in. But if they don't, we'll see. But congratulations to the Buffalo Bills for beating the Dallas Cowboys 31-10. to we, we need to be honest about what we are seeing out of the Philadelphia Eagles. We need to be honest about what we are seeing from the Philadelphia Eagles. I know what it is. So the the Drew Locke led Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks beat the Philadelphia Eagles 20 to 17 on Monday Night Football. Um now we know that Jalen Hurts was dealing with an illness. We know that. Uh, that was about it. <laughs> Jalen Hurts was dealing with flu-like symptoms all year. I mean, all week, and he had to take a separate private jet to the game. He played. They lost. But we have to be honest about what we're seeing from this Philadelphia Eagles team. The margin for error has shrunk for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, let me say this. The margin of error is much slower this year than it was last year. Now, factors change week yearly with these teams. Whether we talk about free agency, we talk about people getting cut, people getting let go, the draft. These teams have a chance to be incredibly different year after year. But... There are a lot of key components that stay the same. And if they stay the same, you're nine times out of ten, you're going to be good. Like, the 49ers have been good for a majority of, what, all of almost ten years now. Like, they've been good. But the margin for error for the Philadelphia Eagles this year has shrunk. 
You see, the things that they were able to lean on last year, they can't this year. They had one of the best offensive lines. They had one of the best defenses. Actually, I think they had historically one of, if not the best defense. They they had Jalen Hurts. They had A.J. Brown. They had Devontae Smith. This Philadelphia Eagles team had an incredible margin for error because if one unit wasn't playing well, another unit can pick them up. That is gone this year. Their defense is terrible. Their de- sp- mainly their back, the, the the back side of their defense has been terrible. But if their defensive front is not getting to the quarterback, is not creating sacks, is not creating pressure, they get destroyed. And on top of that, Jalen Hurts on the offensive side hasn't been good. I think he leads the league in interceptions or no. I think he leads the league or close to the league leaders in turnovers. And on sun, on on Monday, 17 for 31, 143 yards, zero passing touchdowns, two interceptions, one being the game-ending interception, and he did have two rushing touchdowns. The offensive line hasn't been as good as it's been. And because of that, the, de- the the wide receivers haven't been as effective. I don't think that A.J. Brown is just trash now. I don't think that Devontae Smith is just trash as this. When Jalen Hurts doesn't have as much time, like it, it's hard to get the ball to the wide receivers. And Jalen Hurts hasn't been great seeing the field majority of this year. I'm not taking anything away from the Seattle Seahawks. Shout out to the Seattle Seahawks, man. This was one of those games where you were they were supposed to lose. I mean, you didn't know until damn near five minutes before tip-off that Geno Smith wasn't playing and Drew Locke was playing. Um, Drew Locke, 22 for 33, 270 or 208 yards, I'm sorry. Kenneth Walker only rushed for 86 yards. He did have a touchdown. Um, DK Metcalf had five receptions for 78 yards. Most of those 78 yards came in the last drive. Like, (laughs) Jackson Smith uh, Nibajay had four receptions for 48 yards in the game-winning, pretty much, touchdown. This was tailor-made for the Eagles to win, and they were unable to do so. Again, the margin for error has shrunk considerably for the Eagles. Yeah, again, look at the look at the losses. I mean, look at the wins. Like against look at against the Chiefs. They only won because Valdez Scantley can't catch the ball. The Bills should have arguably lost that game. I'm not saying they're a bad team. 
Let me not. Let, please don't hear me say that the Philadelphia Eagles are a bad team because they're not. But the juggernauts that they were last year, they are not this year. And again, their margin for error has shrunk. And and it's only shrunk because the talent of this team is not good enough to overcome those errors like it was a year ago. I'm not saying that they're going to fall off a cliff. I'm not saying that they're trash. But what I am saying is that gone are the days where you go into a mat or you go into a game and you automatically think, oh, the Eagles are going to win. Nah. Especially how they played this year. Because this was a tailor-made win for the Eagles. Even I understand that Jalen Hurts was, was ill, but this was a tailor-made game for the Eagles, and they squandered it. And now there's a good possibility that they've squandered their chance of winning the AFC or NFC East. But shout out to the Seahawks for beating the Philadelphia Eagles 20 to 17. I don't there's how do I I'll say this. The 40 the 49ers beat the Cardinals 45 to 29. There is not a team in football right now that looks even close to the 49ers. I know that going into the season, I picked the the Baltimore Ravens to make it to the Super Bowl and to ultimately win the Super Bowl. And I'm liking my pick for the Ravens to at least go to the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about the Ravens and the Jaguars in a second, but I feel confident that the Ravens... are going to make, you never know, obviously, but the way the Rays have been playing, they have a good shot, let me say, to make the Super Bowl. But I don't think that there's any team right now, right now, that is close to the 49ers. The 49ers are dismantling every single person they play. Yeah, you have some duds, but when they're completely healthy, that's the thing, when they are completely healthy, I don't know. It's very, very tough to beat this 49ers team. But but the, the conversation out of this game, seeing as though Jalen Hurts lost, seeing as Dak Prescott lost, the conversation is Brock Purdy is the front runner for the MVP. Now, it's funny. I did a video on this uh, a couple episodes ago. Again, it feels like the quote-unquote front runner for MVP changes every single week. That's just, that's, I don't know if, if that is saying just how close the MVP race is or what, but it, it changes weekly. But I, I'm starting to think that this is, this whole process, at least this year, more than ever, is a slap in the face to not just the consumer, but the players. Now, do not get me wrong. 
I think Brock Purdy has been great. I think Brock Purdy has been better than advertised. And I think that I remember coming to the season thinking that the 49ers were going to struggle, or at least Brock Purdy was going to struggle because we're going to quote unquote see the real Brock Purdy. But he has exceeded expectations beyond belief, at least for me. But when I say that, I feel like this whole MVP thing, at least at this point, is kind of like a slap in the face because it's very clear that the MVP has been a quarterback's award. There's been multiple years where... um, Somebody other than a quarterback may be deserving of the MVP, but it usually goes to the quarterback. There have been instances, obviously, where another position has won MVP. I think the last non-MVP to win the the, or the (laughs) I think the last if I I could be wrong, but I think the last non-quarterback to win MVP was Adrian Peterson. But the, the, the MVP has been mainly a quarterback-driven award. That is clear. They haven't written it down saying that the MVP is always going to go to a quarterback, but that's, that's kind of a well-known thing. But that in and of itself is my issue right now. That there's nothing written down, there's no bylaw, there's nothing saying that the MVP has to go to a quarterback. And the fact that they're trying to continue to push a quarterback to win MVP is an issue for me. Because if there's somebody else that's uberly deserving to win a MVP, it should go to them. And you look at this 49ers team. The only way you can say that Brock Purdy deserves this MVP is if it is a quarterback award. Because even on this 49ers team, he is not the MVP of of the team. Christian McCaffrey is damn near averaging two and a half touchdowns a game at the running back position. On Sunday, he had 18 carries for 155 yards, one touchdown. And he also had two receiving touchdowns. Brock Purdy is not even the MVP for his team. And and that's no offense to Brock Purdy. He's been great. But he's not the MVP of this team. So how are you going to tell me that he's the MVP of the league? On top of that, how is Christian McCaffrey not the front runner for the MVP? How is Tyreek Hill not in the discussion for the MVP? It doesn't look like, due to injury and everything, it doesn't look like he's going to get to 2,000 yards, but how? What I'm saying is, unless it's written somewhere that a quarterback is the only person that's going to get a MVP, which obviously it's not. Let's be honest about what we're seeing. Brock Purdy has been great. But there should be no way in heaven or hell that he is an MVP front runner to win 
the best player on his own team is not even it's not even him. It's Christian McCaffrey. I'm not trying to throw hate on the 49ers because, again, they look like a juggernaut, and it doesn't really look like there's a team close to them. It looks like they are leaps and bounds better than every single team in the, in in football. But don't don't sit here and tell me that Brock Purdy is the clear cut MVP. Come on now, he's not even MVP of his team. If it was me, to if it was me, right now I would give the MVP to Christian McCaffrey. And if not Christian McCaffrey, I would give the MVP to Tyreek Hill. And if not Tyreek Hill, I would give, and you need to give it to a quarterback, I would give it to the quarterback that's arguably been the most consistent this year, and that's Lamar Jackson. But, hey, what do I know? I'm not a voter. Shouts out to the 49ers for beating the Cardinals 45-29. to You know, they say that the best addition sometimes can be subtraction. They say that sometimes the best way to improve is by subtraction. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Patriots 27 to 17. This isn't about the Patriots because, I mean, at the end of the day, the Patriots are not good. This is about Kansas City Chiefs and how at some point, I understand that there's a need, but at some point, not only do you have to save the team from a player, but you have to save the player from themselves. And what do I mean by that? It is no secret. It is no. It's no underlining thing that the Kansas City Chiefs lead the league in drops. And they lead the league in drops as a team by like a wide margin. And on Sunday, it, it reared his ugly head again with a player that it seems like it continues to happen to, and that is Kandarius Tony. Kandarius Tony, a path, I think it was this one actually, went right through his hands, intercepted. And I talked about this last episode, but it seems that it has to be tough for Kadarius Tony, man, because it just it. If there's something that goes on with the Kansas City Chiefs, if there's something that's like catastrophic that happens with the Kansas City Chiefs, it usually has to do with Kadarius Tony. Now I understand his value, what his value can be, seeing as though you know he had a, he he was integral in the Super Bowl. But sometimes a team has to save you from yourself. And sometimes I understand that you want to help and I understand that you want to be, 
you know, vital for a team, but sometimes your presence is hurting the team. I don't know what it is with Kadarius Tony because I'm not set like I, I'm not I don't know what he does in his free time. I don't know what he, what happens in practice, but there's a reason. I mean, I know Sky Moore just went to IR and he's been horrible too. I would bench Kadarius Tony. Because at this point he's not helping the team. Now, I know the ramifications that that could have because you could ultimately lose the player. But what is what what is he doing that is helping the team win, you know? I don't know. Cuz kind of like the Philadelphia Eagles, the play of this wide receiver core has inc- incredibly diminished the wiggle room for the Kansas City Chiefs. Even with Patrick Mahomes, even with Travis Kelsey, which by the way, I think it's I think it's funny the narrative that's that that's being present. Well, it's not even a narrative. Think about it. So the Kansas City Chiefs have about 34, 35 um drops as a team. Kadarius Tony has five of them. Travis Kelsey has four. The difference, however, is Josh Allen, I mean not Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes trusts Travis Kelsey. And one thing that we know about quarterbacks is if they don't trust you, they're going to stop throwing you the ball. Well, it's starting to seem like Patrick Mahomes is starting to lose trust with Kadarius Toney because I know this is hyperbolic, but it seems like every single time they pass you the ball, you drop it. Or something happens bad for the offense and, and you are the catalyst of it. I don't know, man. I'd, I'd bench him for a, a couple weeks because, dude, what's happening? Or at least the game because, bruh, I don't know what he's doing in practice. I don't know what he's doing in his free time. Obviously, he's probably on the gun um, try, catching in practice. So I don't know. I think he – I think – because sometimes you can get in your own head, you know. Sometimes you can want to – to do something so bad that you are hindering yourself. And that could be the case. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, man, something's got to give, bro. And I'm saying this after a win, which is crazy. Shouts out to the Kansas City Chiefs for beating the Patriots 27-17. to uh, Look, this game, this game was weird. This game highlighted the pros and cons for both teams. And that is the Baltimore Ravens beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 23 to 7. What There's I've said this week after week, man. At this point, I sound like a broken record. The Baltimore Ravens is a complete team, and they can beat you a multitude of ways. Now, 
I do want to send my prayers and condolences out to uh, Keaton Mitchell, who it looks like he tore his ACL, so he's out for the season. Um, and I, I definitely hope for a speedy recovery. I don't, I don't, you know, that sucks. And he was, he was a rookie, but he was a very integral piece to this running game. When you talk about his speed, his burst ability, um, I think that's going to be a big loss. But I hope for a speedy recovery. But going back to this game, the Baltimore Ravens can beat you and uh, can beat you a litany of ways. And that's one thing that we have not really been able to say about the Ravens. They can beat you running the ball. They can beat you passing the ball. They can beat you defensively. Special teams because you still have one of, if not the best kicker in NFL history. This Baltimore Ravens team is complete and I know Lamar Jackson doesn't have the eye dropping numbers or doesn't have the the Patrick Mahone passing numbers or doesn't have the um, Josh Allen passing numbers but there's no way that you can look at this Ravens team and not consider Lamar Jackson one of the best quarterbacks in the league and an MVP candidate. I'm not going to say favorite, but an MVP candidate. But I I started this by saying that we saw the highs and lows of both teams, and that is the Baltimore Ravens and the Jaguars. For the Ravens, yo, this game started ugly. Lamar Jackson threw a, a bad interception, and, and it was on Lamar Jackson. The it it was just sloppy. It's it started sloppy. But I'm looking at you, Jacksonville. Multiple trips to the in the red zone to get no points. One of the worst botched clock management possessions I've ever seen to go into a halftime from a Jacksonville Jaguars team. And Trevor Lawrence, bro. Trevor Lawrence is good. Trevor Lawrence has the ability to be great. But, bro, you have to. One thing that I said, I said that this Jacksonville Jaguars team has the talent to be a top-tier team. Has a talent that you could... You can squint hard enough and see them in the see not Super who see them in the playoffs, like a, a, a legit team that could make a deep run in the playoffs. But they turn the ball over way too much, and it starts with Trevor Lawrence. Like, bruh, come on, bruh. Fumble after fumble after, like, man, it it's crazy. How many fumbles? Did this team have? Because I'm like, bro, this is that too. Shouts out to the Baltimore Ravens for being the Jaguars, man. If the, if the Jaguars don't clean up that whole fumbling thing, they have no shot. Not only in the playoffs, but they might even mess around and, and squander the AFC South uh, title. So, 
We'll see. Shouts out to the Dolphins. I mean, no. Shouts out to the Ravens for beating uh, the Jaguars, twenty-three to seven. Boy, <laughs> you talking about taking a team behind the woodshed, man? The f- Lions beat the Broncos forty-two to seventeen. I am, uh, I'm at a loss for words, man. When it comes to this Lions team, because you know what I'll say. This Lions team is going to go as far as the defense and jo- and the defense takes them. Because we know how good this offense can be. We know um we know how good Jared Goff can be. But we also know like how bad they can be. And what you're what you're starting to see Outside of maybe two teams, there's not much wiggle. That's that's been the theme of this episode. There's not much wiggle room as far as the top. When we talk about talent wise, all these teams are talented, and you can't like gone to the days where you can just be sloppy and like it's it's not gonna work. And we've seen how bad the 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 lions offense can look well if their defense doesn't pick them up it is curtains i don't know now yes they did beat the broncos team and i'm not going to poo poo on the broncos the broncos have been trending up these last few weeks you just ran into a better team and when you turn the ball over i think i know he had a tough one yeah, when you when you have a a tough fumble that can just, which Russell Wilson had that can just snowball, it could be a snowball effect, um, but I mean because if you look at it, it was the first quarter drive was punt fumble punt 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 punt, and then the second. <laughs> Second quarter, they just took off. Touchdown, punt, touchdown, punt, touchdown in the half. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, punt, punt, touchdown, touchdown. Like, I don't I don't know if the Lions are a Super Bowl caliber team. Kind of the same way I look at the Bills. It's like, I know that, that we see the talent that they have, and the talent can – merit them being a Super Bowl caliber team, but in the same breath, what are the, like, I understand how bad they can be. Because we've seen it the last few weeks. But shouts out to the Lions. Oh, you know, another thing I want to talk about for this game. Hold on. The Denver Broncos. I understand that there are coaching styles. You know, and I've talked about this before, but I understand that everyone coaches differently. And the way that you, on top of that, I understand that people, other, everyone can be coached differently. And I think the great coaches know how to adapt to their players and know how to adapt coaching style, how to coach one player and how to coach another player. You're still you still stay true to yourself and you don't cheat the team and you don't, you know, have favoritism or anything. But 
you should understand how to coach. You know, how you coach an X player is not how you coach Y player. It happens. I understand that teams, you know, especially this close to the end of the season, are fighting for their playoff lives. And the Denver Broncos have found themselves in the position where they may have a shot to make the playoffs, which is crazy seeing how they were just, let's say, six weeks ago. (laughs) But Sean Payton, like, scolding Russell Wilson on the sideline is not a good look, bro. It's a mistake. It happens. I get it. But that one mistake didn't lose them the game. Their defense was not able to maintain. They scored. The the Detroit Lions scored 21 points in the second quarter. Like, come on now. Just saying, man, it ain't a good look. But shouts out to the Lions. That you know, you want to talk about a heartbreaking loss. You know, bad teams find a way to lose heartbreakers, man. The Cleveland Browns beat the Chicago Bears twenty to seventeen, and the Bears had all the. They had they had the shot, man. The Hail Mary. I think Darnell Mooney, I hit it hit him in his hands. And he dropped it. I think the question is, um, how were the Cleveland Browns and Joe Flacco, who was just on his couch two, three weeks ago, how were they able to play as good as they're playing? Well, Shouts out to Kevin Stefanski. You have to understand the 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 pros and cons, or let me say, the talents and limitations of your team, of your players. And it feels like Kevin Stefanski knows what he can and cannot do with Joe Flacco in this offense. Yo, D- David Njaku has been incredible. Like, it... This, yo, who would have thought? And, and a lot of this is Joe Flacco, but a lot of this is schemes. And a lot of this, we talk about Kyle Shanahan and his schemes and his playbook. Well, Kevin Stefanski has been great, too, because, again, there's a reason why Joe Flacco was on the couch just two, three weeks ago. And now he's throwing 374 yards with two touchdowns. He did throw three interceptions, though. Like, Imagine that, bro. Imagine the Browns and Joe Flacco having to play the Ravens in the in the in the playoffs. That'd be crazy. But this Browns team is good, man. Defense. This is this had they have a Super Bowl caliber defense, and they they have a quarterback. This is a prime example of the. The coach knowing the limitations of his quarterback and pushing them to the edge and catering to the strengths of his quarterback. And I understand that it's the Browns. I mean, I understand that it's the Bears, but a win is a win. 
especially from a person that was not in the league just three weeks ago. Shout out to the Browns. It has been a tough go-ahead for the Jets, man. <laughs> like, incredibly tough. Um, mm. The Dolphins beat the Jets 30-0. to zero. I think Zach Wilson went out with concussion. Um, they're talking about hot seats. And they're saying that Robert Sala should be on the hot seat. Robert Sala could and should be fired. I don't know, man. I I will say this. I don't know, obviously, who's making the decisions for the roster. If Robert Sala is making these roster decisions, then he, then he could be fired. But Robert Sala is doing what anybody, any coach would do, and that is trying to find – when you're when the quarterback that's supposed to change your franchise goes out three or four plays in, like what do you expect? And I understand that you I think there was a shot of them they could have got Kirk Cousins, but are you gonna get Kirk are you gonna trade assets for Kirk Cousins for a year? I understand that they could have brought in maybe a backup, maybe Cam, I don't know. But the, like, the Jets are in such a tough place, man. I don't know, bro. You look, you got shut out by the Dolphins. And the Dolphins ain't bad. Don't get me wrong. But you couldn't even put three points on the board. I, I don't know. Because we're going to talk about another coach in a second that might be on the hot seat. But I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. The Jets are bad. And it a lot of it starts with the quarterback. Because, again, they thought that they were going to get their quarterback of the future, or at least immediate future, went out in two, three plays. Like, come on. But shout out to the Dolphins, man. Damn. And it sucks, too. When we talk about the Dolphins, it sucks that Tyree Kill probably isn't going to break the record due to injury, man. That's that's unfortunate. Mm. Let's move on. The Saints, the whole t- Tommy DeVito thing is over with. The Saints beat the Giants 24-6. to Now, the Saints have not been the best team in full. Don't get me wrong. The Saints haven't been that good. Uh, like at all so the fact that you lose to the Saints in the fashion of which you did tells a lot I mean Derek Carr who struggled mightily this year scoring the ball had three touchdowns 218 yards Alvin Kamara didn't do much he had 66 yards but he also did 44 receiving um yeah. The Saints the Saints defense took over this game and just suffocated this the 
Tommy DeVito and the Giants offense. Like it was they got nothing going. <laughs> like nothing at all. There Darius Slate Slayton had sixty three yards. Saquon Barkley only rushed for fourteen yards. Yeah, this was a defensive game for the Saints. And Yo, bro. Like, think about that, yo. The NFC South, they have two teams that are 7-7 seven seven at this point. And we'll talk about it in a second. Shouts out to them. Shouts out to the Saints. Hey. <laughs> word of advice to the Houston, I mean, word of advice to the Tennessee Titans. I have been on record. I've said on this podcast that I love the Oilers jerseys. Love them. They're probably one of my favorite jerseys in football, especially when we talk about throwback jerseys. I put them up there, and they might even be better than the Kelly Green jerseys. And this is obviously my opinion. The Kelly Green jerseys or the um, Creamsicle Jersey. I love the Bucks creamsicle jerseys, but I also love the ten- the Tennessee Titans Oilers jerseys. Here's a little quick um, quick history lesson for you guys. The Tennessee Titans, which used to be the Houston Oilers, used to play obviously in Houston. That was their jersey, the Houston Oilers jersey. The reason why they became the Tennessee Titans because their owner had such a beef with the Houston, with the city of Houston, that he took his team and went to Tennessee. And they he want they wanted nothing to do with the Houston at all, which is why they changed their names from the. Houston Oilers to the Tennessee Titans. They changed their logo. They changed their jersey. Everything. The owner wanted nothing to do with Houston. Like, there was such bad beef between them. They got rid of it. Now, bring it back to present day. I understand the whole throwback thing. I get it. But if the owner didn't want anything to do with Houston, why are you wearing the Houston Oilers jerseys? On top of that, why are you wearing the Houston Oilers jerseys against the Houston Texans? Out of everyone that you could have played, out of every team you could have wore that against, why are you wearing them against the Houston Texans? On top of that, you can't wear the Houston Oilers jerseys against the Houston Texans and lose in over and lose 19 to 16 in overtime and let Case Keenum not even CJ Stroud Case Keenum walk you down and beat you can't do that Houston <laughs> you can't do that Tennessee like ah uh, again i love those jerseys too but why are you pl- why are you wearing them against the Houston Texans and then losing? Oh, uh, that's all I got to say about that game, man. <laughs> that is the that's like man, y'all are trash for that. 
<laughs> Damn, shout out to the Houston Texans for beating the Tennessee Titans 19-16. Damn y'all trash for that. Hey, the you shouldn't have cut me game, man. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Vikings 27-24. The Cincinnati Bengals have a good shot of making the playoffs, man. And, yo, that catch, the T. Higgins catch, like, that was an incredible catch. But on top of that, man, Jake Browning has been good, man. 324 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He's been good. Now, I know that Jamar Chase has a separated shoulder, so I don't know if he's going to miss time. I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope that he, you know, is is good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Nick Mullen started. He went 303 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Ty Chandler rushed for 300, I mean, 120, woof, 132 yards. Jordan Addison had 111 receiving yards and two touchdowns, and they still lost. Mm, mm, mm. In overtime. Shouts out to the Bengals, man. Shouts out to Jake Browning, who was cut. He's been cut by a good, a good number of teams, but he was he was cut by the Vikings, and he took exception, obviously. So, shouts out to him. Oh, brother. I kind of alluded to this last episode. Uh, obviously, uh, this hasn't been the best year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think it's so interesting how narratives change. Again, the, the further we get into the season. Because um, you remember when people were people were saying uh, Mike Tomlin. I was actually saying Mike Tomlin should be coach of the year. The Pittsburgh Steelers, overachie- they were overachieving even with their poorest offense and their troubles that they were having. They were still, you know, in the playoff hunt like. It, it was with what Mike Tomlin this in this Pittsburgh Steelers team had to work with. Of course, you would think he'd win him or not win MVP, win Coach of the Year. Now, as you sit here today, they've lost I think three straight against pretty bad teams, maybe even four straight against pretty bad teams. They're seven and seven. Now, people saying that Mike Tomlin should be fired. Here's my thing. You have to understand what you're getting out of a coach. And you have to understand what their core principles are. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season in his career. And the way the Pittsburgh Steelers are looking, this might be the first year. And if it is the first year, I think it's interesting how things that have been prevalent his entire regime as the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach are starting to come to like and it's starting to rub people the wrong way. 
the the saying is winning cures everything, and that is definitely true. The Indianapolis Colts, Gardner Minshew led Indianapolis Colts, beat the Pittsburgh Steelers thirty to thirteen. The Pittsburgh Steelers' offense looked horrible. Mitch Trubisky went 169 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Mason Rudolph, who is going to be their starting uh, quarterback next game, he only had three yards. The The biggest uh, play out of this game was a huge hit that, homie from the Steelers did on Michael Pittman and he's been suspended for the rest of the season which I don't agree with because I mean I think Tom Brady even said it you can't put yourself you can't throw hospital balls out there and like you can't you can't put as a quarterback you can't put your wide receiver in those type of positions like at all you have to you have to look out for the safety of them, too, because as you know, their primary focus is catching the ball. They understand that there's a possibility of getting hit, but you don't want to open the door wider than it already is of them getting hit or severely hit like like he got. Concussion, everything. Like He got drilled. And I don't think the dude from the Steelers should have been suspended for the season. That's crazy. Especially when I look at that as mainly Gardner Minshew's fault. But back to the Steelers. Culture is everything in football. Um, when you are Mike Tomlin led team you know that you're going to be a defensive minded team you're going to he he may he it seems like he lets a lot of things go if you're producing on the field and that has been the culture his entire tenure and it's been, I mean, it's got him a Super Bowl. But it's like, what do you, I'm trying to formulate, I'm, I'm trying to convey my thoughts in a well thought out sentence. Um, The Pittsburgh Steelers don't have does not have the team to compete for a Super Bowl. They have the defense, but they don't have an offense to compete for a Super Bowl. Whether that's Mike Tomlin, whether that's the GM, they don't have the team. And I don't know why you would expect them to with Kenny Pickett, which which was a very controversial pick to begin with, was chosen as their quarterback. And you held on just a little bit too long to Big Ben. I don't think Mike Thomas should be fired, especially seeing as though he was a front runner for coach of the year just a couple weeks ago. But 
this is the Steelers. If they can't beat you, they have good peace on the offensive side of the ball, but if they can't beat you with their defense, they're nine times out of ten not going to win. Mike Tomlin has a defensive-rich culture. But as we've seen, when's the last defensive coach to win a Super Bowl? I'll tell you. It was Bill Belichick. I think in 2016. So, yeah. Oh, boy. Let's move on. The Atlanta... Yo, the Atlanta, the NFC South, bro, they are not good. The Atlanta Falcons, let me tell you something. I know that the whole mantra is any given Sunday, right? I know, I know. But the Carolina Panthers have been so bad that they're kind of on that list of, if you lose to this team, at least this year, I'm not saying in general, but at least this year, the Carolina Panthers has been so bad that if you lose to that team, <laughs> you have to be put on that, yo, your hot seat is hotter than fish grease or even instant fire. Because they just, they've been that bad. And how are you losing to a team that can't get out of their own way? Well, the Atlanta Falcons lost to the Carolina Panthers 9-7. to Arthur Smith, there's already been question marks about him losing his job. I'm not one to call for nobody's job, but uh, Desmond Ritter got was getting benched for Taylor Heineke. <sighs> Boy. B. John Robinson only had seven carries. Bryce Young didn't even throw more than... Didn't even throw 175 yards. This game was... I'm sorry if you had to watch this game. If you went to this game. Because it was raining too. Like, God, both these teams are horrible. The NFC South is horrible. I'm, getting, I'm stressed out talking about, these, talking about this division. Yikes. But, hey, shouts out to the Panthers for getting their second win of the season. Which can ultimately mess up the uh, the, the biggest lose out of all this is the, uh, the Chicago Bears because, you know, they keep racking off these wins. They're not getting that number one overall pick. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, God, then I got to talk about the – I will say this, and let's move on. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Green Bay Packers 34-20. to 20. Yo, Baker Mayfield looked incredible. Uh, I was, he threw 381 yards, four touchdowns, got Mike Evan a touchdown, uh, got David Moore a touchdown, Rashid Wright, or Rashad White, I'm sorry. Yo, he had two catches, one, damn. Yo, the Green Bay Packers defense has let them down tremendously this year, like, Let's point to nothing else but that defense as to why they continuously why like, Jordan Love had an okay game, two hundred and eighty-four yards, two touchdowns. It's just the defense couldn't stop a soul. Defense could not stop the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. 
And now the Green Bay Packers more than likely are done when we talk about the playoffs. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But shout out to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that I think they're they lead the NFC South right now. It's between them. And I don't know if they have the tiebreaker against the uh, since or New Orleans Saints. So I don't know. But shout out to them. God damn it. Let's 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 get off this quickly. The damn it. The Rams. The Rams beat the Washington Commanders twenty eight to twenty. The trust me, the the score wasn't as close as it looked right there. Jacoby Brissett first man, Sam Howell was benched. Jacoby Brissett. Sam Howell had a hundred and two yards the entire game. Jacob Brissett, I think, only played the fourth quarter and had 124 yards, two touchdowns. Terry McLaurin had six catches for 141 yards. Shouts out to the Rams. The Rams are one of the hottest teams in football right now, honestly. I know they're 7-7, but... They're one of the hottest teams in football. I think they've won like four or five of the last six or something like that. Uh, it's just tough, man. It's tough being a Washington fan. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, too. But uh, damn, man. Shouts out to the Rams. Let's get off football. Let's get off football. That's been week, what, 15 breakdown. Yeah. Um. Let's go over the MMA, man. Shouts out to Leon Edwards for beating Kobe, uh, Kobe Covington at UFC 296. Here's the thing. Um, I am not one. I, if you're not close to me, if we have... If your beliefs don't got nothing to do with me, I don't care what you believe. Let's just, let me just keep it a stack. I don't care. I don't care. It has nothing to do with me. Like I'm not here saying what you should and should not support. You do your thing. We know how staunch Kobe Covington has been when we talk about you know Trump and MAGA and everything. I, hey. If that's what you want to do, if that's what you support, cool. That doesn't take away from if you can fight or not. Cool. And I understand, you know, you don't play fight. <laughs> you don't play box. You don't play in the UFC. Like, these people are trying to knock your head off. And... There's a level of gravitas, there's a level of aggression that you have to have going into a fight, and even in a fight, or you're going to lose. It's like a will thing. How much will do you have to get out of here victorious, alive, you know? So I understand that there's going to be chirping, and there's going to be arguments back and forth and and there's going to be you know cheap shots and everything as far as 
verbally and press conferences because not only are you trying to sell a fight, but the, you've been training to beat this person. You know, you've been training to that your whole your whole training method is to stop you. So I never really care about or I don't really hold anything against people when they, you know, have the back and forth chirping or, you know, cursing each other out at the weigh-ins or cursing each other out at the press conferences or, you know, the almost fights that happen in weigh-ins and stuff like that. And on top of that, I don't know these people. <laughs> we don't know these people. So I don't, it doesn't bother me who you support if it doesn't matter, if it doesn't affect me, you know, I understand that people can say, well, selection, I get it. But if it doesn't initially affect me, I don't care. But what I don't like is when you take promotion, when you take your beliefs, when you take your aggression and go a little too far. Leon Edwards' father recently passed away. Or I'm not going to, I don't know if it was recently, but his father passed away. His father was murdered. And to poke fun, to make fun of that is, is to me, going against the grain. Like, going, going a little above beyond. Especially, I understand, again, you, your, your whole thing is, you're, you're, you're training to stop this person. But... To bring dead relatives into it is kind of crazy. And this is one of the first times where I was, like, excited that somebody didn't win. Because that's not something that I want to, or and something that I don't even think UFC wants to promote, is that your champion, who was out for, I think, two years, come and, and spewing, spewing this hatred and spewing... You know, some of the some of the rhetoric that he was spewing to Leon Edwards, who, by the way, is a great face for the UFC and one of the most decorated fighters in the UFC. I think he has the most wins, consecutive wins or second most or something like that. I just think that. The right guy won. Uh. And it's not because of the whole MAGA stuff. It's because when you when you start talking about my dead relatives, all right, now now we got now we got to see about it. And Leon Edwards did exactly what he was supposed to do. Now he did it. People say it was a boring fight, but I respect what Leon Edwards did. He did what you're not supposed to do. He played right into Kobe Covington's strengths but to to kind of embarrass him to show like no you i don't care what you think you're not doing that (laughs) like we know that kobe covington is a great well it has been great as far as strikes or takedowns well it was like no not today he was two for ten for takedowns kobe covington when leon edwards was two for three 
It was a it was a complete domination in my opinion. I know it was by decision, but it was a complete domination. Shouts out to Leon Edwards for beating Kobe Covington and UFC 296. Let's move over to basketball. Um, the only thing I'm gonna highlight with basketball right now is John Morant's back. Uh, I don't think that I know the Grizzlies are now right now six and nineteen. I don't think that him being back is going to. Uh, <laughs> I don't think him being back is going to change the fortunes of the Grizzlies. I think that this year it's pretty much is pretty much done for the Grizzlies as far as playoff contention. I think that the best that they can do. I don't. I don't see that in John Morant that he can go on uh, such a huge run. I mean, they're down. They're they're uh, they're under. They're 13 games under 500. I don't know if John Morant can just change the fortunes like that, but I hope that, you know, I'm excited to see him back. I think that it, I'm excited to see him back, and we'll we'll see what happens. Um, Shouts out to John Morant for coming back. So, let's, uh, I was going to talk about, there was a couple topics I was going to talk about, but we'll leave it for, um, we'll leave it for another time. But now we're at the unpopular topic of the day. And this one especially hits home for me. Uh, I am obviously I'm from the Maryland D.C. area. I was born and raised in the Maryland D.C. area. And news came last week that Washington Wizards and the Washington Capitals are going to be moving to Virginia. Now, this happens a lot. I mean, we just heard about the Houston Oilers moving to Tennessee to become the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the Baltimore Bullets moved to Washington. Uh, Washington, the, the Commanders used to play at RFK Stadium in Washington. Now they play in Landover. It happens. I think it's going to be tough to accept that the Capitals and the Wizards are going to Virginia. I think it's going to have such a huge effect, not just on Washington sports, obviously, but on Washington, D.C. itself. The Wizards... The Capitals bring so much revenue to the city. People don't understand. People don't realize how small Washington, D.C. is. It's not that big. And while, yes, you have the White House, you have the museums and everything. A staple in Washington has been the Capital One Arena, which used to be the Verizon Center. And... The Wizards and the Capitals brought so much revenue to the city that it's, I don't know how you're going to replace that. On top of that, man, we saw the Capitals year after year with Alice Ovechkin get so close to the Stanley Cup and ultimately finally won one. Now, no, I've never seen the Wizards uh, NBA championship in my lifetime, but even with them not being that good, they still have had a rich history. 
So it's going to be tough seeing them go. And I, I don't think it's a good decision, but I understand that money talks. When the mayor is talking about, I think, $500 million to renovate Capital One, and then Virginia is talking about hitting them with two Bs, like, like okay. It's going to be tough, man. I don't. I don't know. I know. I, I think on Twitter, I was just like, I'm not a fan anymore. I was, again, change is tough. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I think that's nothing. I don't know what this change is going to look like. So I'm not ready in saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to Virginia. With No, I don't even like Virginia. That's another thing. <laughs> In the DMV, right? DMV obviously stands for D.C., Maryland, Virginia. As you know, well, people that are from the DMV know that you can see Baltimore is not considered the DMV. Like Baltimore is his own entity. Baltimore is over there. <laughs> when you hear someone saying from the DMV, do not think Baltimore. That's not the case. And on top of that, the furthest you're getting when we talk about the V is maybe Arlington or Alexandria, maybe. And even that's pushing it. <laughs> Yeah, people. One thing that I do know is people from D.C. aren't really fans of people from Maryland or Virginia. People from Virginia, Maryland, aren't really fans of people from D.C. and Virginia. People from Maryland, Virginia, or people from Maryland and D.C. hate Virginia. I hate Virginia. Like, it's just not a fun place to go. <laughs> like, if you ask me, um, so it's gonna be tough. Ah, man. It happens, man. It happens. The Baltimore Colts became the Baltimore Ravens. like, Or became the Indianapolis Colts and the Ravens happened. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I think that this is going to be this is going to be huge in a, in a negative way for the Washington, for the District of Washington. Because like Again, that's a lot of revenue leaving the leaving the leaving the city. A lot of it. Hell, the capitals alone. Forget the wizards, the capitals. Yeah. And there you have it, man. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link's in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your unpopular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to wherever you're listening. Please subscribe to wherever you're watching. It definitely, definitely means a lot to me. Uh, and please subscribe. You know, it. please subscribe to the Instagram. It. It. I'm trying to get as many followers as I can, so that means a lot. And follow the socials. Follow Instagram, follow TikTok. I, I pretty much post there daily. So and that was, that's just keep it respectful and we can talk about it. So uh, until next time, much love. Mm-hmm.